Thursday, August 10th. Welcome back. Wonderful to see you again here on the Damon Bruce Show on the plus, baby. Welcome on back. It's good to see you. We got some stuff to get into today. A little call to action of all plusers to help. Well, not only, you know, give your business to my sponsors, but one sponsor in particular, Uncle Boys, had a break in this week, and we are going to try to make that right by Monday, shall we say. Let's get this right. Let's make them have a big weekend. But we'll get to all of that in a second because we officially have a main story today, and a lot of it is going to be unplugging what we know and trying to figure out what is going on. Jed York. Jed York being sued for a little insider trading, possibly. What did he do? How much trouble is he in? And in any way, shape, or form, are the 49ers exposed here? Uh, interesting things going on, for sure. But it's more embarrassing than it's going to be like an X marks the spot of real trouble for Jed York as far as it stands right now. If this is just a one-off, I'm sure checks will be written, fines will be paid, and all will be forgotten. But this might make people start leaning into a billionaire's finances. And as I've talked today to some of my friends who are lawyers, who are in high finance, um, they have all said, you go, you go thumbing around through anyone's portfolio who's a billionaire. It doesn't take long to find something that could raise a red flag. So will this beget more trouble is probably a bigger concern than the actual trouble that Jed is in right now. And since there are a lot of people talking about this who don't know exactly what they're talking about, I did some homework here. So here we go. Jed finds himself in more of an embarrassing situation than anything else. Actual trouble, again, can be bought off by people who live in his tax bracket. And there's no jail time looming here. These are lawsuits coming from within as we see it right now, this is not an SEC Security Exchange Commission filing or investigation. This is a lot of internal infighting going on. Um, if anything, you know, if if what the accusation is, is that his a learning center that he was involved in was involved in a cheating scandal that he knew about covered up before he could get out of it. Um, it's more embarrassing than anything else. I mean, this is the 49ers franchise that touts itself with its STEM program and their commitment to help education. And they wear that like a proud emblem. They really do. Um, as you should, if you're doing things to help kids, that's good. But anytime a billionaire gets caught, like gets caught chasing a million dollars, I don't understand it. Like that's such short money. And maybe there's ego attached to this. Remember Jed, always stood to inherit an NFL team. So maybe in his quest to be in some way his own young man chasing I'm smarter than you might be money for just little piles is even sexier than the mountain of money that the 49ers represent to him and his family's legacy. I mean, kids are weird. Inheritance is weird. And, you know, the one thing I know about rich people is they've never looked around at their empire and said, yeah, that's enough money. That, that'll be good. I'm satisfied with that. I don't want any more. There's always a desire for a little bit of more. But again, when you're a billionaire, chasing a million-dollar deal would be like worrying about a nickel when you had a $100 bill in your hand over here. It just, it's just One is not the other. Um, as reported by the San Francisco Chronicle, two very good reporters, Lance Williams and Ron Krojcik, Jed is facing two lawsuits stemming from a role as board member of the online educational company Chegg 
Inc. C-H-E-G-G Inc. Chegg Inc. Two shareholder lawsuits allege that York and other members of the board covered up an online college exam cheating scandal during the COVID-19 pandemic and also engaged in insider training. Uh, trading. The company's stock soared during the pandemic, but plummeted once colleges resumed in-person classes. Yahoo.com reports that the lawsuit claims that Chegg's board gave false and misleading statements to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission when the cheating scandal was discovered and insulated that they uh, 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 insinuated, excuse me, that they perpetuated the practice. The company's stock price uh, reached as high as $113.96 back in February of 2001. It fell to $24.25 by November, and today it sits at $11. So if you got caught holding the bag, you lost your shirt. Jed sold his bag of stock off at its highest price, and the you're not allowed to do that basically stems from, well, you had inside information that you profited from but withheld from others within your circle that could have also used this information that you profited from. Uh, York and Chegg CEO Dan Rosenwig are also accused of allegedly dumping the stock uh, at the height of its market price before the scandal was discovered without informing investors of any impeding crash. The lawsuit claims that York made $1.4 million after he sold 20,000 shares. Now, the 49ers formally partnered with Chegg in 2019. They handed out $100,000 in scholarships to first-generation college students in the Bay Area. And that right there kind of gives up the game, right? Doesn't that show you that the only reason why the 49ers partnered with Chegg in the first place was because Jed was involved? And again, they give away $100,000 worth of scholarships, and they want to victory lap that like they're in the Indianapolis 500. Meanwhile, Jed is making more than 10 times that doing a little shouldn't have done that. I mean, again, when a billion-dollar company makes a $100,000 donation to anyone, thanks for nothing. Seriously. Thanks for nothing. It's like flipping a penny at a homeless person. It took no effort to do it, and it's not really going to help at all. You could have you reached in your pocket for some real dollars to help, but you were just looking for the I'm helping homeless bumper sticker that you're going to plaster over all your PR bullshit. Um. So I am, as you know, uh, involved in a charity called the Guardsmen. The Guardsmen have been in San Francisco a very long time. A lot of corner offices in a lot of downtown skyscrapers are occupied by Guardsmen, who um, most of them are much smarter than I and don't come from a world of sports casting. They come from a world of finance and law backgrounds and uh, legal backgrounds. Um, we got a, we got FBI agents in the Guardsmen. We got we got some really you know, heavy hitters who understand law, finances, criminality. And I basically asked my group, someone explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old. What is the level of trouble that is in here? And basically what some very smart people have told me, 
that what's going on here is just the big circle of finance making sure everyone gets their piece of the pie. This is going to be a fee bonanza. Uh, each board member of Chegg is going to need his or her own, own lawyer. Insurance companies are now going to need lawyers. The company is going to need lawyers. Jed needs his own lawyer. The 49ers legal counsel is probably going to have some billable hours. And this is what makes the whole system work. You know, it, and 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 it's really kind of the price of doing business when you're doing business on the million dollar, billion dollar level. These are fees that people doing wrong are more than willing to pay because the outcome is so much more profitable than the shame that could ever be attached to a fee. And there's going to be no jail time here or anything like that. Um, a, a, another friend of mine said, even, you know, if Jed's name weren't even involved, this is hardly even newsworthy insider training is like steroids like everyone does it to some extent but how much of your hand do they actually catch in the cookie jar everyone's fingernails are in there you know to this knuckle everyone involved in finance is cheating to this knuckle um many are cheating to this knuckle they really don't start looking at you until you're cheating to this knuckle and when you get your whole hand in the cookie jar now all of a sudden you might be in a little bit of trouble this is like first knuckle reaching into the cookie jar uh what's going on here um and, and an argument another friend of mine even went to say you know an argument could be made that everything is securities fraud eventually like any information that you might have about a company could be might be couched as securities fraud if the lawyer had that much of a hard-on for the case of the argument so um this is all sort of the price of doing business but it's embarrassing for Jed because attaching himself to the nobility of education when he's basically, you know, one of the CEOs of a cheating ring, it looks dishonest. And then when you find out that he took home $1.4 million, but then tried to get, you know, all the good PR that came with, well, they donated $100 million to first-generation college. Basically, when you say first-generation students, what you're trying to say is look at all the money I gave the black kids. That's what you're that's 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 what you're doing. Black and brown kids, aren't we great? At $100,000, you ain't even close to being great helping them out. A couple of million, that would have made a difference maybe, but Jed put most of that in his own pocket. Um again, the lawsuit is within. There was an SEC little investigation here, but it's not like they're the ones who are chasing Jed down right now. So again, this is going to be more of an embarrassing slap on the wrist than anything else, and it won't cause the 49ers to be stripped from Jed or the Yorks or anything like that. So any daydreaming about, hey, maybe this means a new owner. No, 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 no. That's, that's not that. Ah, sip of the day. I'm going to get it in. I'm going to hit the under today, I think. Um, look at me living dangerously again. An unlitted mug. Living on the edge. Living on the edge over here. Um, I do absolutely want to tell you about my sponsors again. Ikes, thank you so much for sponsoring us here. Thank you for being part of Plus Mania 1 and flying in for our event this past Saturday. It was great. I know a lot of people were very excited to meet you, and as always, he's handing out free sandwich cards. The man's trying to feed the world. He's got two delicious new sandwiches, premium sandwiches on his menu. Sign up to be an Ikes Reward member, and you will be very, very happy that you did. You make you You get free sandwiches by eating sandwiches. 
it's a pretty good deal. Uh, a pretty good whiskey, to say the least. My friends at Blacken, boy, they are making an unbelievable whiskey. Uh, it is delicious. It works in cocktails. It works straight. It works neat. They've got cast condition strength. They've got the rye, uh, some limited uh, special bottles. Go ahead and just pick up a bottle of Blacken. Like, start at the lowest price point of entry, and you're going to find yourself with a delicious bottle of whiskey. I can promise you that. And then, again, at the price point of entry, I've been telling you, you can't find a better burger than a great burger at Uncle Boy's. Get the onion rings. Try the lumpia. And I ask that you do it this week. Uncle Boy's was a victim of a break-in earlier this week. I'm proud to report no one was hurt. No one. They broke into an empty store. Minimal damage, but still. A small restaurant like Uncle Boy's, you know, a few thousand, five thousand dollars ish worth of damage. Small restaurants, small family owned restaurants are already, even in the best of times, operating on the thinnest of margins. So what really isn't that bad of a break in can turn into more of a headache than you could imagine. So. Please go to Uncle Boy's and get yourself a burger, the lumpia, the onion rings, the french fries. Go ahead and pick up a burger from Uncle Boy's today, tomorrow, this weekend. Let's try to make this one of their busiest and best weekends ever. Plus Army, stand up. I'm going to put this out and ask all of my former radio brothers to uh, help me get the word out in San Francisco. And I hope everyone wants to stand up to help out a local business that got done wrong Get yourself to the Inner Richmond, 4th and Balboa, and get yourself a little Uncle Boys this weekend. Help out a great local family business. It would mean a lot to me. It would mean even more to them. And at the end of the day, you get yourself some delicious burger uh, for lunch or dinner when it's all said and done. Uh, we got uh, a big week of football, obviously, coming up with the fact that the 49ers are swapping Helmet paint right now with the Las Vegas Raiders at the practice facility in Henderson, Nevada. And uh, boy, what an interesting week it kind of is for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He's got an entire team that he used to be very much the captain and leader of coming in as he is trying to establish himself as the new captain and leader of the Raiders. He finds himself in an offense that maybe suits him a little bit more than Kyle's did. Uh, Josh McDaniel's very happy to have him. He says he's happy to be there. Results of training camp for Jimmy, as always, mixed reviews. And mixed reviews will follow Garoppolo's play wherever he goes. But if you want to talk about what kind of Garoppolo, uh, what kind of leader Jimmy Garoppolo is, he's still an A+. He really is, and he's a Boy Scout when it comes to dealing with the media. Mike Silver, um, did, did, Jimmy had Mike eaten right out of his hand on a park bench. My buddy JT the Brick, who covers the Raiders, spent an afternoon with Jimmy Garoppolo and was like, oh, what a great guy. You know, he looks you in your eye, he makes you feel good, and he does. Jimmy always, you know, he might not always make the right throw, right? I mean, isn't that the reason why you wanted him out of town? Because he makes a few throws that just make you go, my God, what is he looking at? Where was he going with that ball? What was he thinking? But when it comes to saying what was he thinking, you never say that after a single quote of his goes public, not never. Jimmy makes you feel like he is giving you his all in an interview 
when he's basically just playing the nice tap dance as he filibusters an answer that is long enough to make you feel like, oh, well, he really answered that when he didn't really say much of anything. And Mike Silver, who is, you know, incredibly respected in the NFL community and gets those exclusive one-on-ones where he can maybe extract a little, ooh, ah, there's the big quote of, 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 a, of a headline or of an interview. Um, he, he didn't get much. He tried to bill it as, you know, oh, here's a Jimmy that you, you've never heard of. But th- I've heard this Jimmy all the time. And let me tell you what Jimmy said that is actually notable. Nothing. He said all the right things. Um, Jimmy always gives you a bunch of nothing that adds up to it feels like he said something. But he doesn't sell out his teammates, not never. He doesn't sell out his coaches, not never. He takes blame. He doesn't assign it when he could have an axe to grind against, I don't know, a former team like the 49ers, which equally loved him and yanked his chain and sent him out of town as unceremoniously as humanly possible. Like if there were ever an axe to grind, now might be the time to do it. Nope. Not Jimmy. He does not hold grudges in public in any way, shape, or form. He never says a word that turns into bulletin board material. Jimmy at the podium is perfect. Maybe not on the field, but at the podium, the guy is perfect. And he really is. Because of that, you can bill him as an amazing teammate and team leader. His teammates... Like, if there were any group of men in the world who should be frustrated with quarterback play when it becomes inconsistent, you would think that teammates should check that box before even fans do. But no, Jimmy, through his ups and downs, has had teammates remain as loyal as the day is long to him. And it's because he doesn't sell out anybody. So, Jimmy... I don't know what he's going to do in two practices. We're probably not going to see him on the field Sunday taking on the Niners, but he's out there with live reps against his former team, and I'm sure when it's all said and done, there'll be handshakes and butt slaps and happiness all around. Speaking of uh, handshakes and butt slaps on a football field, I finally caught the first episode of Hard Knocks, so that show's kind of out uh, out of ideas. It really is. Like, they're, they're helicoptering in Liv Schreiber into the episode like his voice isn't enough anymore they had to helicopter him in to give the show more content and it was basically 60 solid minutes of just hard knocks and the new york jets kissing aaron Rodgers's ring and ass in every conceivable way and look the HBO crew did a heck of a job editing it to make Aaron Rodgers look like the most warmest and welcoming and everything rolls off his back teammate you've ever seen. Now, we know that that's not the total truth. We also know that the trying to frame that as a total truth is a little bit of a lie. I mean, everybody gets a short end of the stick when you become the talking point of every sports show in America. Aaron Rodgers isn't as good of a guy as he claims to be in Hard Knocks. He's not as bad of a guy as people claim to be who are his critic. Um, I'm just thrilled as someone who grew up rooting for the Chicago Bears. He's out of a Packers uniform. He still looks a little weird in that Jets uniform, and I think always will. But uh, uh, what kind of year they have certainly depends on how healthy he can remain. So it is going to be a very interesting year for the New York Jets. Hard Knocks might not be interesting, At least the first episode wasn't great. It was good. wasn't awful. But it's hardly the 
take you inside of how a team operates feel that the first few seasons of Hard Knocks really did provide a level of access that haven't been provided since uh, since the Gruden Raider year with Antonio Brown. That basically that's that's the year that Hard Knocks died pretty much forever um, because all all real access seemed to be cut off at that point. So there you go. We got ourselves joint practices today, tomorrow between 49ers and Raiders. And all that really matters is that everyone gets off the field healthy. That goes for both teams. And what really matters is uh, I'm going to be in Vegas Saturday night. I get in late Sunday. I'm going to be at Allegiant Stadium. And I'm probably going to do more to evaluate that stadium than either football team because neither team is going to have a single starter out on the field probably. And, uh, and, and that stadium is something I cannot wait to actually see with my own two eyes. I've seen it from the outside. I haven't been inside yet. So I'm really looking forward to my Vegas trip and we're going to be announcing a new sponsor for post Gaiman Damon. I will be coming to you live after every single 49ers game this year, and I'm looking forward to it. The King of Post game is back, baby. So, little baseball for you. On a day that uh, both the Giants and A's have off, last night, the Giants dropped their second in a row in Anaheim to lose that series down in Southern California. And look, the Giants hitting woes in the clutch could be the thread that undoes what has been an overachieving successful season to this point. Um, the Giants basically are going to tell you who they're going to be in the next 18 games. The next 18 games are a monster for the San Francisco Giants. They start a six-game homestand tomorrow night. Bruce Bochy, he's going to be in the wrong dugout as far as we're all concerned, but he's going to be back at 24 Willie Mays Plaza. The Rangers are in town for three. So the Rangers are the first three-game leg of a brutal 18-game stretch for the Giants that's going to go a long way into the mix of what this year ends up looking like when it's finished. They got three with the Rangers, three with the Rays, all at home. Six-game road trip starts after that in Atlanta and in Philadelphia. Then the Giants return home for three more games against the Atlanta Braves. And then after that, they got three more games against the Cincinnati Reds to end the month of August. They've got 18 games here remaining in August, and every single one of those teams that I just mentioned is either in first or second place in its own respective division. So there are no cupcakes. There is nothing easy waiting for the San Francisco Giants starting Friday to the end of August. And a team that's having trouble hitting right now better get its act together because guess who doesn't have trouble hitting at all? As a matter of fact, they hit a ton. The Rangers, the Rays, the, Six the Sixers, yeah, they're not even hitting threes. The Phillies and the Braves, all those teams hit a lot. So Giants pitching better be on point, and they better start driving in some runs when they're standing on base. They didn't do that in Anaheim. Meanwhile, meanwhile, since it's a 
off day for the Giants. Let's do a little bit of a look around the situation as it stands right now here on the 10th of August. Uh, L.A. is officially 8-2 and two in its last 10 games. They've opened up a six-game lead now over the Giants in the National League West. The Diamondbacks are really fading. They're 1-9 and nine in their last 10. They've fallen 11 games behind the Dodgers now in the National League West. The Padres have lost four in a row and are a Baker's dozen, 13 games back in for the division lead. Their season is all but over, and it's to the point where you know, they're they're five minutes away from talking about how it might be time to fire Bob Melvin. The Padres had huge expectations coming to this year. The biggest payroll in team history, and they were basically dead on arrival. They haven't had two good weeks in a row yet this entire year. So it's a mess down in San Diego. And eventually they're gonna come to Bob Melvin and say, Look, we came to you to put this team together. And it's gotten worse on your watch, Bob. That ain't good. That ain't good. Uh, the A's, meanwhile, they're off today. But again, at 33 and 82 on the year, one could argue that they've been off every single day of the season so far. One of the things that you did see when the Giants were in Anaheim was all the fawning that Kruk and Kipe were doing over Shohei Otani. And honestly, Shohei Otani amounted to a lot more decent innings and good at-bats than he had a particularly great night in any situation. The Giants kept him in the park. He's still yet to hit a home run against the San Francisco Giants. So, you know, hey, if you can't beat him, join him. Um, they better put an awful lot of money in front of him this offseason. What kind of money is it going to take? Well, that's something that I have for you here. Kind of an examination of what it will take to actually sign Shohei Otani and the exposure and the risk of an overpay for a player his age against the history of how, you know, after Shohei might be great, but he's not great enough to combat history and time. And history and time says after the age 29, you know, you have officially plateaued and you are on the other end of it. Well, even though he continues to get better and he's having one of the most remarkable years ever created by an athlete, any sport on the planet ever, um, the decline is coming. So uh, what do you really want to pay a guy who could be in line for six, seven, eight hundred million dollars in free agency? Uh, Bobby Numbers, who is a fan of the show, uh, uh, watches the YouTube show and is a huge Shohei Otani admirer. Uh, he shared with me, and he's right about all this, Otani today is on pace for a 306 batting average, 55 home runs, 115 RBI, 10 triples, 124 runs scored, 103 walks, amounting to a war of 12.6 as a hitter alone. On the mound, he's on pace for 14 wins, a 317 ERA with 230 strikeouts. It's freaking amazing. Um, he leads the bigs in home runs, triples, OPS, OPS plus, total bases, intentional walks, hits allowed per nine innings. War, he leads the American League in walks and on base percentage. He is now in the top six of all three triple crown categories that we apply to hitters and pitchers. Isn't that amazing? He's in the top six of the triple crown categories for hitters and pitchers, all with being the same human being. 
again, there's a reason why Krug and Kipe were fawning all over him, even though he wasn't having the most robust plate appearances you've ever seen. Uh, Giants did a good job pitching to him. They did a better job pitching to him than they did some other Anaheim Angels. Look, last season, Otani became the first baseball player ever to finish in the top 15 in home runs, hits, strikeouts pitched, all on the mound uh, since it was moved to its current distance in 1893. The guy's remarkable. Kansas City Royals catcher Salvador Perez predicted last month that Otani would get $600 million for 10 years. And remember, no U.S. sports franchise has ever fully guaranteed a player even $500 million. So he might go blowing past the guarantee of Trout, and he will. There's no might about it. He will. But who's going to take what will be a risk? Orange County Register business columnist Jonathan Lanster. uh, Jonathan Lanzer, I guess. Excuse me. Lansner, L-A-N-S-N-E-R. Said that Otani's value could be north of $700 Uh, both numbers, 600, 700. I even said you'd give him a billion dollars for the rest of his career. If anyone outbids you for a billion, so be it. Can't do better than that. But um, both numbers are extraordinarily high for a player who's recently just turned 29, an age that historically has seen the start of any player's on-field decline. Washington Post writes, hitters generally tend to start peaking at 25, and according to wins above replacement, a single-value metric that quantifies a player overall contribution, combining offense, defense, base running, this peak performance phase can last for just a few years before a slow decline typically sets in. Pitchers have a similar peak with a steeper decline after the age of 28. Otani is having a career year at the plate is projected for a seven war as a hitter and a 3.1 war as a pitcher. His previous highs were five as a hitter and 5.6 as a pitcher just last season. So Otani could be expected to produce about a 27 war as a hitter and a 15 war as a pitcher over the next decade. Now, Fangraphs has assigned $8 million for each win that you get in war, which would make Otani's worth somewhere around $337 million if we apply the normal natural aging process to him that basically every hitter has ever gone through in baseball. If we assume a 5% yearly increase in the value of wins, what teams are willing to spend to get one extra win, maybe his value increases to around $387-390 million. Now, of course, we're talking $600 million, $700 million. And these valuations, again, are only considering Otani's performance on the field. They do not take into account the benefits of merchandising, ticket sales, player recruitment, or other advantages uh, occurred by having a superstar such as him as your roster. I mean, the international business alone would be extraordinary. That's why, again, uh, the ratings, the attention that you will garner with Shohei Otani in your dugout for a decade, to me, it's easily worth a billion dollars. It's easily worth that, especially for a team that lands no superstar since Barry Bonds. I'm looking at you, San Francisco Giants. But even though Otani was kept in the park, he's got the last laugh as the Angels uh, did take two or three against the Giants. They're probably not going to go to the postseason, so there you go. There's his World Series right there. Two or three against the Giants. The other big story today, I mean, it's big enough where I could have even led the show with it. Have you seen 
what kind of degenerate gambler Phil Mickelson has been exposed as? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Phil Mickelson's gambling problem certainly explains his defection to live more than any element of he wasn't happy with the way PGA Tour officials did business or conducted their their their, their league or anything. I mean, it's this guy has a serious gambling addiction. It comes from an excerpt of a book that is being released called Gambler, Secret Lights, Secrets from a Life at Risk by Billy Walters. Billy Walters was a big finance guy, a huge gambler, and Phil's primary gambling partner. And when the SEC came poking around, this guy started singing about the amount of gambling debt that he had occurred and they were saying, well, these numbers are extraordinary. How are you accruing this amount of gambling activity? And he basically had to say, well, because my partner in crime has been Phil Mickelson. And Phil Mickelson is like one of the world's all-time leading gamblers. He truly is on sports. So I want to read to you some of the excerpts from this book. It's pretty extraordinary. Phil said he had two offshore accounts that would take big action from him. In all the decades I've worked with partners and beards, people who make bets on behalf of a gambler, Phil had accounts as large as anyone I had ever seen. You don't get those types of accounts without betting millions of dollars. Phil Mickelson, according to this guy who wrote the book, made over a billion dollars in wagers and attempted to gamble on a Ryder Cup that he was actually pay playing in. In September of 2012, Phil called me from Medina, just outside of Chicago, the site of the 39th Ryder Cup between the United States and Europe, and he was feeling so supremely confident that the American squad led by Tiger Woods, Bubba Watson, and Phil himself was about to reclaim the cup from the Euros. He was so confident that he asked me to place a $400,000 wager for him on the U.S. team to win. And the guy said, have you lost your mind? Have you ever heard of Pete Rose? Like, this is how you get thrown off golf tour for the rest of your life. And I guess Phil said, you know, oh, you're right. I probably shouldn't do that. And this guy even admits, you know, you couldn't talk Phil out of a bet that he felt good about. So who knows if there was someone else that he actually placed this wager with while he was on captaining the Ryder Cup team, he might have been betting on him. They said it was nothing for Phil to bet 20000 a game on long shot five-team NBA parlays. He would wager $100,000 or $200,000 a game on football, basketball, and baseball. And based upon my detailed betting records and additional records provided by the sources, here's some of the snapshot of Phil's gambling habit between the years of 2010 and 2014 alone. In 2000. In 2010, he bet $110,000 to win $100,000 a total of 1,115 times. 
on 858 occasions, he bet $220,000 to win $200,000. The sum of those 100, uh, excuse me, 1,973 wagers came out to more than $311 million bet in just that fashion alone. In 2011, he made 3,154 bets, an average of nearly nine bets per day. On one day alone in 2011, he made 43 bets on Major League Baseball games, resulting in $143,500 in losses. He made a staggering 7,065 wagers on football, basketball, and baseball in four years. 7,000 bets in four years alone. Based on our relationship and what I've learned from others, Phil's gambling losses approached not 40 million as had been previously reported, but are much closer to 100 million. In all, he's wagered a total of more than a billion dollars in the past three decades alone. Wow. Wow. Phil, looking for that action. All bets are action, Phil Mickelson. Good Lord. So that's why he joined Live. That's why he took all that upfront money. That's why he's saying, yeah, I'm cool with Saudis and 9-11, and it doesn't bother me anymore, and it shouldn't bother you because these guys are going to help me pay off some serious gambling debts that I got. That's why he did it. But that's a monster number. Damn, Phil. Damn. So there you go. With no Giants, no baseball in the Bay today. Uh, I guess keeping eyes on training camp tweets of joints practices is where you're going to get an awful lot of your juice today, unless you're Phil Mickelson and you're you're gambling on Brock Purdy's reported completion percentage at, at a joint practice. I, who the hell knows? I mean, but God almighty. That's a significant sum of money there, Phil. Methinks you have a problem. So there you go. There's today's show. One more reminder, get yourself to Uncle Boys. Take care of those who've been taking care of me. Yes, give your business to Ike. Yes, give your business to Blackened. But your business, specifically this week, the week that they've had a break in, get it over to Uncle Boys. Get a burger, get the lumpia, get the onion rings. We take care of each other here on The Plus. Thank you for tuning in and enjoying. Hopefully you did. If you're listening on the podcast, I can only say thank you so many times you made the podcast so successful so early, and it's a creation. I am humbled by it, and I ask you to remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, whew, he's gone.